This is Easter Sunday, and a very different Easter Sunday it is. Who would have ever thought in the United States, in Dallas, Texas, we would be preaching, and the pews on Easter Sunday would be empty. And yet we know that this is a very special Easter Sunday in that people are in their homes all across the city, all across the state, throughout the country, even throughout the world. I'm looking at people this morning who have tuned in, um, friends, members, uh, guests alike from literally all over the world. So today we declare in a very different way that same old truth, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And today on this Easter Sunday, we're starting a new sermon series that's entitled, Become the Gospel. We're going to be talking about what it really means to become the gospel, which is really all about becoming a witness, isn't it? And today we have the great story of the most powerful witness that was ever proclaimed, and that was the witness of the women, and in particular, Mary of Magdala, who declared, He is risen. I've seen the Lord, and he is risen. We're talking about today what it means to be a witness, to become the gospel, and to witness to the risen Lord. Now, I want to remind us about a couple of things that we read this morning in Scripture. Uh, There is a sense in which we know that the disciples were in their homes afraid. We see that verse, the 10th verse of the 20th Uh, chapter. Then the disciples returned to their homes. And there's another reference in that short passage of scripture about them being locked in their homes. And we also uh, remember that Jesus also said to Mary, uh, don't touch me. It's a sense of social distancing going on for a very different reason. He said, I have not ascended to my father. But I hope that this Easter we can get a sense of how uh, relevant this passage is and how it speaks so powerfully to where we are today. I want to point to the fact that the early disciples, those first Easter people, were in their homes, locked in their homes, and they were afraid to come out. They wanted to believe the good news that the women had shared with them, but could it really be true? Was it one of these situations that was too good to be true? They were living in a time of such despair and such fear, locked in their homes. If they left their homes, their lives might be in danger, or they could endanger the lives of of their family members and friends. Does that sound familiar? Could a miracle really have happened? Could life really have won out over death? Could this time of terror and fear really be coming to an end? Alone in their homes, they dared to believe that hope was possible, that the long night was over, and that the morning had truly broken, that God's love was the most powerful of all. And even though it didn't seem quite real yet to them, eventually they would be able to leave their homes. And when fear and danger had subsided, they went about celebrating the good news and spreading the good news that Jesus Christ had risen indeed and the most powerful message on the earth. And it's his unconditional love for us that changes everything. 
This year, we might get to experience a taste of what the first Easter people experienced. We're still in our homes, daring to believe and hope that things will be different and it's coming on the horizon. Then after a while, when it's safe for people, when it is the most loving choice we can make, we will come out, gather together again, sing and shout the good news that God indeed is risen. You know, the Easter journey that we've been on this year has been different, but it's reminded us of how hungry we are for the good news of the Lord living, the Lord in our midst, the Lord going before us into all circumstances. A pastor friend of mine reported that she once went to a nursing home um, to offer Holy Communion at that nursing home to all of the residents who gathered there for the little worship service that she was doing. The facility was largely for the poor, and its residents were in various stages of dementia. She reported that when she arrived, the volunteer who was taking her to the place where she would speak was to some degree making excuses for what she was about uh, to see and to witness. And, and they were talking to her about the fact that it was later in the day and many people were uh, kind of off of their medications and so there would be some who would be sound asleep and some who would be uh, perhaps uh, hyperactive. And that's exactly what she found. She found some who were there for the service just sound asleep, completely out of it. And another who was singing, row, row, row your boat, and uh, bouncing up and down and up and down. And she said it became so chaotic that she all of a sudden just clapped her hands. And she said, friends, what would you like to hear from the Bible today? And in the midst of all that chaos, you could hear an older woman in the back say in a voice and resonant, she said, tell us the story of the resurrection. She said all of a sudden people started getting quiet. Those who were asleep opened their eyes. And then she heard another say, tell us the story of the resurrection. And then another, yeah, tell us the story. Isn't that why we're here today? Isn't that why we've come here today to hear the story that Kay has read for us and, and I'm going to retell? We come to hear the story. In the midst of life, whatever circumstances, that story makes a huge difference. In John's telling of the story, the women, of course, take center stage. And the one woman who is in the very center is Mary of Magdala. Sometimes we call her Mary Magdalene. And she is one that we really know very little about. We know actually from Scripture that she was one who followed Jesus early on. She was from the Galilee region, and so she probably knew Jesus and witnessed him several times uh, as he would come into her city. She too was one of the perhaps 120 people who followed Jesus, not just the 12 disciples. She loved Jesus. Uh, some would say that she was one who was once a prostitute. We don't have biblical account of that. We do know that she was delivered from seven demons that she had. But other than that, we don't know how old she was. We don't know the color of her hair. Uh, we don't know much about her at all. But we do know 
that she was the first to witness to the risen Lord. On that first Easter Sunday morning, Mary had some tomb time. She couldn't get there on the Sabbath day. That was the day of rest, and it was illegal, in essence, to go and anoint the body of Jesus that they had hurriedly put in the grave on Friday ahead of the Sabbath. So she went to anoint the body of Jesus. And before dawn on that Sunday, it was Mary Magdalene who arose and and, and she went to the tomb. And as she's making her way to the tomb, she finds that the stone had been rolled away. So she races back to tell Peter and the other disciples, probably John, Peter and the disciples, they start to run to the tomb at at Mary's witness, her testimony, that, that the grave is opened. And they confirm what Mary reports. And then Mary, who is there all alone as the disciples run back, she hears that voice in the midst of her crying. Woman, why are you crying? And she doesn't recognize him at first. She thinks that he's the gardener. And and then that voice, that familiar voice, calls her name. Mary, she turns and she cries out, Rabboni, which means the teacher. She wanted so badly to hug him, to hold him. Uh, Don't we know what that experience is like? She wanted that physical touch, but Jesus said, no, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. And what is it that Mary is saying to us through Mary's tomb experience, what is God saying to us about Mary's tomb experience and about your tomb experience and my tomb experience? What is the Lord saying to us on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning? We are collectively a global people in the midst of of a tomb time of sorts. And, and by tomb time, I'm talking about that experience of, of, of a loss of life maybe or, or loss of freedom. A tomb time is a time that, um, where hopelessness reigns, where the future is dulled and the present seems lifeless. We're in the midst of a tomb time that... That, that brings us face to face with death and, and, and causes us to feel like we're completely and totally out of control. That, 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 that there's so much that's going on that we have really no say, say over. And we experience this tomb time in life, not just through this COVID-19 um, uh, circumstance that we're all in globally, but we, we've experienced it through the loss of a, a relationship or a, a marriage, a tomb time. We've experienced it through the loss of a job, and some of you are experiencing that even now. It's, it's like a tomb time. Some are experienced that uh, the financial questions about, um, about you know, how are we going to make it? Are we ever going to get out of this economic uh, tragedy right now? It's a tomb time. 
Some people deal with depression and it, it, it feels so dark and, and like a, a tomb time. And, and others are dealing with addiction and the shame and guilt that comes along with it. It's like a tomb time. But tomb time is the time that the risen Lord will draw near to you if you believe and ask him to do so. Do you believe that? That it's in the midst of the tomb times of our life that the Lord draws near to us and will bring about resurrection and newness of life. Tomb time is that period of life that, that Jesus really does shine. Easter time underscores the truth that Jesus took time to die. He died for you and for me and literally for the whole world. He died to bring the truth that God has experienced everything that we experience in life, even tomb time, even death. That our God is the go-before-you God who has led the way and yet also is in the midst of us. The very real presence is the living, resurrected Lord, bringing hope to all of us. Jesus created Easter time out of tomb time to show us the non-condemning, gracious, forgiving, unconditional love of a God who goes before us and stands beside us now and will throughout all eternity. What a promise. What a truth. You know, several years ago, I shared a story with you that, um, that I want to share again. It was a long time ago, over two decades ago. But the truth of the story still rings in my ear. You know, once there was a woman, as the story goes, who was very ill. She had a, a disease that she would not recover from. She'd sent for her pastor, whom she loved very much, and, and her pastor came by, and he her bed as they were visiting, and after a, a few words that were more small talk than anything else, she said, I want to talk about my funeral service. I want to talk about what I want us to do at my funeral service because I want my service to be a testimony to my faith. The pastor straightened up, he got out his little notebook, and he began to take notes as she began to talk. She talked about the songs that she wanted sung. She talked about the scripture text that she wanted read. She even talked about the dress that she wanted to wear. And then she said, in my left hand, close to my heart, I want to be holding my very special Bible. And he said, you know, we can do all of that. And it'll be a, a, a real blessing to proclaim your faith. And then she said, oh, oh there's, there's one more thing. One more thing, I nearly forgot it. it. It's the most important thing. She said, in my right hand, I want to have a fork. And then she looked at her pastor who seemed somewhat dumbfounded and she said, I'll bet that seems to you to be somewhat of a strange request, doesn't it? And he said, well, it's actually the strangest request I've ever had in such a case as this. 
She said, let me tell you why the fork. She said, many years ago, uh, growing up in my country church, we used to have a, a family night, Wednesday dinner. We did in my church too. And she said, we would, would sit over to the small tables with the small chairs over to the side. I remember that. And she said, we loved it when the adults would come, when the meal was nearly over and the, uh, the visiting had moved on toward dessert. The adults would pick up our paper plates and they would say, keep the fork. She said, when we heard the word keep the fork, we, we knew something better was coming. It was an exciting uh, phrase, keep the fork, because we, we knew that it wasn't going to be lime jello. No, it was going to be a piece of cake or a piece of pie or, or some homemade cobbler. She said, we knew when we heard keep the fork that something better was coming. The pastor said he'd be glad to do what she'd asked him to do. He hugged her. He prayed with her. And he knew that that would probably be the last time that he would be with her. And sure enough, she died later on that week. And at her service, uh, the pastor noticed as, as, as there was this procession of people who'd come up before the service and, and view her body. They, they saw the Bible in her left hand, and in her right hand they saw the fork. And, of course, they knew what the Bible was about, but uh, there were more than several questions about, what's the deal with the fork? And the pastor would just smile. And then when it came his time to preach and to say a word, to witness to her faith, he told the story about why the fork. And he said, I don't know about you, but he said, I don't think I'll ever be able to get the fork out of my mind. It means so very much to me. What a witness. And you know what I hope today? I hope as you share your Easter lunch, whether it's in a real small group or maybe a family member or two, that when you look down at that table before your, your grace, that you'll see that fork and you'll remember something better is coming. You know, the resurrection is not just about that eternal life that God has promised, though it certainly is about that. It's about the present. It's about experiencing the resurrection in the now. And, and we usually say, hallelujah, he is risen. He is risen indeed, and we will before this service is over. But what I want you to say is I'm going to say there is something better coming, and I want you to say, keep the fork. You know, when tomb time comes with COVID-19, it has changed life forever. But we know that there's something better coming, don't we? So we say, keep the fork. When tomb time tells us that we cannot recover financially or the financial trouble is going to wreck our lives and wreck our economy, wreck the world economy, we know that there's something better coming, don't we? And we say, keep the fork. When tomb time tells us that we cannot live uh, without the shame and guilt of the past or, 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 or an addiction in the present, then, then we know because our Savior lives that there's something better coming and we say, keep the fork. When tomb time tells us that our, our, our marriage is over or a broken relationship can never be mended, 
we know that there's something better coming. Keep the fork. And when tomb time reinforces us living with jealousy or hatred or envy or bigotry or racism, we know God wants there to be something better coming. And trust God. Say, keep the fork. When the tomb time has us still mourning and stifled by grief, we can say again, keep the fork. Easter embrace Easter truth that transforms us. Jesus wants us to know, the risen Lord wants us to hear, there's something better coming. There's something better now. Put our trust in him. For Easter people embrace the Easter truth that transforms tomb time into hope in the resurrection of our living, loving Lord. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed.